the Staff and Graph podcast. This is weird. My lock's been drilled, so I open the door and my steering wheel is missing. Thin links are salad. You know what? You're trying very hard not to get sued. You can have all the talent in the world skating around, but if you don't have a goaltender, it does not matter. Team Tidy Business, baby. Welcome back to another episode of the Staff and Graph podcast. I am very clearly not the voice of Mike Stevens. It's Jacob Stoller from the Hockey News here, pinch hitting for Mike, alongside the usual Rachel Dory here. And we also have a special guest for today's episode, Paul Peduti, the creator of the Peduti Point Share System, PPS, as it's known on the online Twitter circles, a metric that takes every NHL player in history, puts them on an even playing field, and uses a data-driven approach to kind of compare and adjust eras to see who are Hall of Fame-worthy players. Super stoked for this. Paul, thank you for joining us, man. I'm thrilled to be here. Thanks a lot for having me. Awesome. Yeah, no, we're, we're thrilled to have you. Uh, Rachel, I mean, we should probably let you speak too. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm excited to have Paul on. Um, we have like mutual connections through Sudbury and um, seeing his work on Twitter has been super fun. I'm so excited that Paul could join us. I mean, him and I have been trying to figure this out basically since um, everything kind of started happening. And so being able to get him on in the summer where we've got time to like unpack everything and there's not hockey to talk about so we can really focus on Paul's work is is super exciting. Absolutely. And just for everyone listening, you can check out uh, the PPS work and the explanations, which we're going to dive into throughout this episode, but um, on the adjustedhockey.com website uh, where Paul has an explanation and whatnot. Um, Paul, I'll tell you, you know, I'll throw this first to you, but where did you first get this kind of thinking or idea in your head? Because I can tell you, as someone's part of a group chat with my buddies at every playoffs, um, it seems like when Joe Pavelski scores or someone, people write, hey, is Joe Pavelski a Hall of Famer? And then chaos ensues in this group <laughs> chat of, of arguing and whatever. And you seem to have found a pretty good formula to kind of, you know, decipher and contextualize really the debate as a whole. To be honest, Jacob, it started when I was a kid and uh, I was sort of that kid who was nine years old who was carrying around a hockey almanac with uh, Mike Richter on the cover in the 90s. And I kind of came by it honestly, where I was just that kid who was really interested in stats. And um, I'm from Sudbury, um, Coniston, actually, the town, uh, hometown of Home Blake, or Toe Blake, I'm sorry, the legendary coach. And um, so I'm from a hockey mad city and town. And basically when I grew up, I was around hockey all the time. I was a goaltender as a kid and I always was comparing everything. I wanted, I was fascinated with the idea of being able to compare every player in history. Um, and I see Rachel smiling. So maybe she was really similar <laughs> in that regard, but um, who has the time. Right. And, you know, I became an accountant and I had a day job still, um, and I work a regular week and it wasn't really until the pandemic came where I said, well, where does someone get hundreds or thousands of hours to dive and scratch this itch? And when I did, um, I finally got to do this lifelong project to start chipping away at something I've always been fascinated in. So that's sort of the origin, I guess, really. 
That's super cool. I mean, yeah, I was also that kid where I was carrying around the stats books and my mom was like, you can remember what Yannick Perot's face-off percentage is, but not to put your laundry away. And I'm like, well, yeah, because that isn't helpful. So I totally, I totally get that. So you're, you're in COVID, you're an accountant, which I mean, yep, that's smart people things. Um, how does this, like, what is the process for creating PPS as now it's called? Uh, a lot of trial and error, I'll be honest. Um, but the the origin was sort of, I had read in my 20s, uh, Bill James book, and he kind of had this revolutionary way of looking at everything. And it was about breaking down career and, peak and uh, sorry, peak and pace. And those were sort of some of the things that he had looked at. And what I tried to do was work off that and make it fit for hockey, which was not all that easy because people in hockey care about a lot of different things. Like in baseball, nobody cares about the playoffs. And in hockey, cups and legacy and things like that are absolutely important and awards. And so uh, Bill James was focused more on regular season. And I said, okay, I've got to make this fit for hockey. So that was my very, very original motivation for this. And then it was just a ton of trial and error. And I just kept playing around with it until, you know, the players who were truly great, like the Forsbergs and the Burrays and the players who had shorter careers that I think when people just go to NHL.com and sort by stats, they're not there because they didn't play a long time or the players who played during the dead puck era so throughout my process what I was trying to do was make these players stand out in a way that I knew they had dominated and that's sort of um, how I moved it along until you know I got set with something that I think would pass the public sniff test and thankfully for me when it came out no one had seen it and almost immediately everyone said this looks right and it was it was extremely exciting when that actually happened <laughs> I will say so you mentioned Bill James uh could you just maybe give like I mean for anyone that's interested in analytics as a whole, Bill James's book was also a fundamental part of kind of what Billy Bean did in with Moneyball and just the Oakland A's. What is it that Bill James in that book did or created or, or kind of contextualized with regards to evaluating players? Well, I think you nailed it right there, Jacob, because you said context or contextualize, and that's exactly what it is. People mm -hmm. just look at raw numbers all the time and. You know, everyone who played in the 70s and 80s is awesome. And then everyone who played in the basically the last 30 years can't score to a lot of people. And it's really not the case. It's the environment they were in. So um, what Bill James did was sort of bring that all to the forefront. And he wrote about it in a way that was digestible and that got people interested. And, and sort of that's what hockey is still lacking, I think. Um, we've done an awesome job as a hockey community to make modern players be looked at under uh, great lenses but when you go back in history it's really not there and this is sort of the gap that I've wanted to fill is contextualizing hockey history it doesn't have to be about the hall of fame it can be about anything okay so you're talking about comparing players it doesn't just necessarily have to be is this player a hall of famer or not it could be right. a debate about which hall of famer is better or even more interesting like a guy who maybe is lesser known but had um, a couple of like a great peak, let's say um, you can have, it's almost like something where you could have debates mm -hmm. because there's actually numbers associated with it, as opposed to the black and white, like, is he in the hall of fame or not kind of situation, right? Yeah, that's exactly it. And a good example is John McClare, because I've said that 
had he played in the eighties, he would have been a 60 goal scorer for five years on average. And no one even really thinks about him a lot. And it's so much of what your career is shaped by is timing. And and that's what I love to try to bring to the forefront is, um, you know, I call it creating a level playing field. And so all the tools that I develop kind of have that in mind. It's funny, like, we'll get into, obviously, the Hall of Fame angle, but as Rachel kind of pointed out there, it's so much more than just that. You posted something on the career-adjusted gold pace that I thought was really interesting. And, you know, Austin Matthews is number three on this list of very elite scorers. I have to ask you, I'm not in the center of the universe right now in Toronto, but I still uh, am interested and, and curious, you know, what you made of, of seeing Matthews that high up in the goal rankings. Yeah, that's a great question because it probably did survive or surprise a lot of people. But the truth is, he, he's also in his prime, right? He's going to drop. I mean, everyone other than Ovechkin uh, generally sees their career average plummet uh, as they enter their 30s. So a lot of it is how much he can sustain that. But what I do think it brings a lot of eyeballs to is how good Austin Matthews is. And I know he's a lightning rod for criticism because he plays in Toronto and they've won one round in his career. Not exactly breaking news with any of this to anyone, but (laughs) the truth is he's scoring at a rate that's really unprecedented. Um, There's a handful of people in history who have scored even up to his current age. And those are the Gretzky's and Ovechkin. So I'm always happy to focus on showing how good or in most cases great players really were I think that's that's a lot of the fun of what I've been doing because a lot of players take so much heat and it's not that I'm trying to defend them I'm just trying to objectively say they're way better than you think I have no skin in the game they just are awesome and that's really fun for me so you can just have this debate of like okay um is this player I gotta add this guy to my group chat yeah exactly Paul dominate my buddies the group chat and and at the bar i have you thought about creating like <laughs> some level of app where it's like i can log on to my iphone open an app and compare two players just to see what's better i feel like that could make a ton of money kind of like what byron does okay. with hockey prospecting too similar yeah no yeah absolutely i it's a great idea maybe i should be writing that down i mean step one probably for me is uh to get a proper website that has like a a database that these cards are shareable and that people can kind of dig into stuff themselves and that's sort of one of my off-season projects actually now that you mention it um but at, at the end of the day i think that's what people love to do like i get messages from you know whether it's just a friend of mine or someone i haven't talked to in a long time all the way to top hockey insiders on Twitter. Then I just get these messages. Hey, I'm talking to my friend. I, I want to tell them that player X is a hall of famer. Can you give me something? And then I'll, I'll pass their card along or I'll give them like a good, a good nugget. And then they'll be like, okay, thanks. Thanks. And it, it's funny. People just love to do that. And I, I've sort of spent the last nine months figuring out my place in all of this, but the utility of it is really exciting for me because people love to compare and they love to have debates and and sort of a lot of what I'm doing is debate fuel, if you will, or at least I hope it is. Another thing about the even playing field too is, you know, from a pure stats standpoint, it eliminates bias, but also, you know, nuance that comes with the Hall of Fame process. We'll get to that in a couple of minutes, but are there any players that you that you're, that the model kind of showed were maybe a bit overrated, whether that's public perception or just, in your what you thought was a 
better player than really they were. Tons actually. And I, you'll notice I, I keep a pretty positive vibe uh, online and I'm generally not trying to say who is really overrated. Um, maybe one day I'll, I'll dive down that path, but as of now, I'm usually going the other way and focusing on underrated, but I mean, I don't, I don't want to create just a blanket rule of thumb, but if you probably had your peak between 1975 and 1995, you are inherently extremely overrated in a way that I could never properly convey on our right. podcast. Um, and I know that angers <laughs> a lot of people from that generation, but um, if you played basically between 1996 until probably two years ago, uh, you've been really shortchanged. So it's really a generational thing. Um, e even anything post lockout, like everyone made a big deal about that first season where goal scoring came back and it, it dropped immediately after. So it's pretty much been dead puck prior to the last few years for uh, 25 years, honestly. It's crazy that that switch happened, right? We had that lockout and you come back and we go from immediately overrating players according to um, the PBS system to immediately underrating them. And it kind of makes me think like, okay, at what point, as somebody who watches the game with, I guess, like a bit more of a critical eye towards gameplay, I look at that and I go, what drastic changes were made that impacted that? And were they positive changes to the game? Because if they weren't positive changes to the game, is there a way to go back and fix that? Um, I feel like that could spark an entirely different conversation. And that's something that we wouldn't necessarily have had had you not created this. Like we wouldn't have had this beacon for for conversation of, okay, well, what changed in that specific offseason that led to essentially a role reversal? Uh, I, the post lockout was definitely power play driven. I think um, they I, they relaxed the standard or sorry, they tightened the standard, I guess, depends which way you want to look at it, but uh, penalties were flying and that was a big part of it. But once the players adjusted, scoring essentially went right back down. And I, I find that doesn't get talked about. It was like, oh, we saved hockey. Crosby and Ovechkin entered the league. We got a bunch of power plays, but then more or less everything reverted <laughs> very quickly back. <laughs> you know, with looking at it from, you know, obviously there's like the cap and stuff now, which wasn't before, um, have you found it all sort of a way where with the tool, which is kind of leveling out production across different decades, um, have you found like sort of a pattern or anything with regards to like which players are getting in and just kind of like, you know, into the Hall of Fame and stuff like that? Or do you think that nothing's changed with regards to that recently? It's kind of the same criteria that's getting players in. It's a it's a bit of a loaded question, Jacob, but uh, uh, the truth is My bad. the Hall of Fame standard is so subjective and due to the fact that there's absolutely no transparency on what they're thinking or who they're considering mm -hmm. there's no way to really say how predictive it is because every few classes or even sometimes within a class you just sort of get head scratchers mm -hmm. and i know that's because it's an evolving group but the truth is when they don't really talk about it who knows what the standard is so what i've tried to do is make it objective here is I don't care what team you played on or how many cups you had. I'm just, mm -hmm. I've come up with a way to measure it. So it's funny. Everyone always says, Oh, can you predict who's going to be in the hall of fame? And I don't think the hall of fame committee themselves could predict who's going to be in the hall of fame uh, because there's a lot of just really arbitrary selections. It seems. I'm curious about if you ever look into, this is another loaded question. My apologies. 
Um, but, uh, you know, with the women's game, if, if there's sort of a way we could even at the playing field, not necessarily historically, but because there's different levels being had, whether it's Olympic competition. Um, and also, World don't feel bad if you haven't done this, Paul. <laughs> I, I feel like I'm just like making you feel horrible, but I'm curious if that's something that you ever thought about. I I have not given the data side of women's hockey a lot of attention because it was an exhaustive undertaking just to try to do something for the NHL in one league. But um, probably two months ago now, I wrote uh, a really deep dive article on Jen Botterill's Hall of Fame case. Right. And mm-hmm. it kind of got the, the wheels percolating in my head where, um, you, you know, one day I would love to be able to put something together. It's a lot harder on the women's side because they don't play as many games. And, um, you know, there's sort of these signature events that drive a lot of the legacy and all the players don't play in the same regular seasons and things like that historically. Uh, But I'd love to give it a go. Uh, I think that would be a really awesome project one day. Rachel, how would you do that? How would you, if you had to right now kind of build the prototype, what would you think would go into that sort of process? Yeah, I think, I mean, we're getting more data on the women's game, be it through staff leads or sport logic. Um, All of that's obviously private, but I think just generally speaking, we're getting more data. And my hope is that with the new league that's being created is that there'll be like one specific data house that we'll be able to pull from and people will be able to make models using the play-by-play data that is available from the NHL. And mm-hmm. and so in doing that, I think we'll be able to have a bigger scope of data available and it'll make it easier to do things like compare. The problem that we're going to have, and I think Paul would recognize this too, is that we didn't have the data for so long. That How do you compare somebody yeah. like Haley Wickenheiser to somebody who's just coming up now? I mean, Haley Wickenheiser played in a a men's league. And so there's just so many different avenues that I think realistically you're not going to be able to use data until this new league starts and and things start getting tracked appropriately outside of goals and assists and gold medals, um, that kind of thing. I don't know, Paul, what you think, but I think it's pretty hard to quantify like a championship in the PHF versus the CWHL versus whatever else. Yeah, I I would totally agree. It would be it would be something that was really simple and not based on a ton of games, truthfully, just because the schedule is shorter. So it would be tricky. I mean, there's probably a really uh, rough way to do it, and I I'd still love I'd still love to try it because uh, you know even if there's one league going forward, it's going to be a really really long time before that starts to yield good information that we could compare errors and things like that. So uh, I agree with Rachel, but. Um, there's probably still a good way to do something going backwards. Yeah, I think yeah. there's definitely, there's something you can do. I think it'd probably have to be, I know you talked about quantifying like Stanley Cups and play like awards. I think it probably might have to be around that. Like mm-hmm. how many medals you won or like your scoring comparative to teammates, like quality of teammate kind of thing. Yeah. Cause obviously like the Canadian yeah. and American women are going to have their numbers are going to be so much better, but that doesn't mean that somebody like Alina Mueller or um, like Riga Solonen, who went in last year, aren't worthy just because they didn't score at the same clip. Obviously, their quality of teammate wasn't quite the same. It's a different ball game, well I think, too, I would say, because you're the beauty of the women's 
game too is that a lot of the really elite moments are in these like do or die situations too. So you'd have you can't discredit that too. Whereas I guess with Paul's tool, it's actually aiming to do that take away bias. But yeah, it's an interesting kind of thought there. Um, Paul, who are the most, in your opinion, egregious uh, omissions or people that haven't um, made it to the hall yet that you think are surefire Hall of Fame players? There's actually a ton. Um, what my what my standard reveals is how many I don't want to say whiffs there are in the Hall of Fame, but how many better players that are omitted that there are than are in the Hall of Fame. And um, if we're doing a short list, I mean by position, I'll give you three, and I wrote about all of them um, at at great length. One was Alexander McGillney, and he's become incredibly popular as a pick. Um, yeah. I think his timing is really awful given the state of um, Russia's abhorrent war on Ukraine right now. Um, the last, you know, 15 plus years though, he probably should have been elected. Um, through my data, he he is the greatest era adjusted scorer per season that's not elected. He's an 85 point player per 82 games um, over his entire career. Yeah, and there's there's guys in the Hall of Fame who weren't even good defensively, who are have sixty something points per season. So um, McGillney is is really obvious one to me, um, and we haven't even mentioned the fact that he defected from his country and essentially yeah. became the European Trailblazer. So um, I've got all day for McGillney, and I'll probably write about that until he is ultimately elected. Um, defenseman is just happens to also be a Soviet player in Sergei uh, Gonchar. Um, mm. he for his entire career, he is second in games, goals, assists, and points only to Nick Lidstrom. And he just got uh, overlooked. <laughs> yeah, that's that's decent. <laughs> so he he should be in. I mean, there's a lot of guys similar to him, and he, he should be in for sure. Um, and the last, and he's kind of become a pet project. Like I do stay pretty objective, but Cujo has, has long been, um, the, the goaltender and sure enough, they elect three goalies this year and none of them are Cujo. Um, so maybe they listened to my articles about how, uh, there aren't enough goalies in the Hall of Fame, but they didn't go with Cujo, which I thought was, was a bit of a mess myself. Dory, why do you think that McGillney and Gonchar aren't in the Hall? Um, if I'm being really blunt and honest, they're passports. Um, I think, like, I agree with Paul. The McGillney one is just so egregious. When you talk about the Hockey Hall of Fame, you talk about people who revolutionized the game. Mm -hmm. We likely don't have Russians for another 10 years in the NHL, if not for Alexander McGillney. Um, and while I understand what is going on in the world, that doesn't excuse what Paul pointed out, which is that there were 15 years prior to the war where he should have been elected. And so I think that it's almost like incumbent upon the Hall of Fame to be like, he will be inducted after. Mm -hmm. um, so that's the McGillney case. The Gonchar case obviously is a little bit more recent. Um, I believe he was only eligible starting like last year or the year before. And that's sort of right around when the geopolitical situation got very ugly and gross um and so that kind of explains it from gonchar's perspective right i agree with paul though i think both should be in i think it took sergey zubov far too long to get in and so i look at this and i'm like i think we're just not valuing the contributions of european players to the same extent of canadians because their international 
careers are not being counted the same way that a gold medal for Canadians is being mm-hmm. counted or a Stanley Cup. And the reality is, is it's a lot harder to defect from a nation being chased from the KGB than it is to win a Stanley Cup. <laughs> I, I feel like that's not a groundbreaking. A, that is case not there. that no, lot of a take, but I will agree, Dory. I will agree. Um, yeah, so I, I want to ask another question uh, to you, Paul, and then I'll throw it to you, Dory, again, just on kind of the other side of things. Who is someone, Paul, that is closer to being a Hall of Fame caliber player than maybe the public would believe? Like a name that you we have, like McGillany and Gonchar. They're a lot of people recently have talked about at least McGillany. I know um, as being a possible Hall of Famer. And a deserving one, but who's a name that throughout this process kind of popped up is kind of close to that territory that you were like, hang on a second, this is a little weird. Yeah, I love that question. Um, one of one of the big ones is Marion Gabrick. And I know you're oh. probably going like, what? But okay. um you you kind of go back at when he played. Um, you know, it, some of these guys, it's like their top season is say 43 goals. And everyone's like, Oh, well, they only did that a couple of times, but if they played in 1987, then they would have 54 goals many times. Right. And that's what everyone is sort of sleeping on. So Gabrick to me is someone um, that no one talks about. I didn't even include him or maybe I did. I, I'm sorry. I can't recall, but I did a bunch of public polling and there are a handful of players. Uh, Thomas Bocoon was the other one. I didn't even put him in the poll because nobody ever talks about him. But he statistically, anyway, has a much better case than a lot of people who are in the Hall of Fame. So I, I kind of love those ones. What do you think That's, about that, Dory? Yeah, I mean, I look, I think about it, and Gabrick makes sense because he was terrifying for like his career. It's not like Danny Heatley, who like, I mean, I think Danny Heatley was at one point the most terrifying scorer in the league. Like he was crazy. Um, yeah, like I think it's hard to to say because I I haven't gone back and looked at era adjusted analytics the same way that Paul has. Um, I would probably have Heatley in that conversation just because that like Heatley Spezza Alfredson line in Ottawa almost single handedly carried them to a Stanley Cup, and that was incredible. And obviously, like there was Jonathan Chichu mixed in in there as well but um yeah like Marion Gabrick I think the most vivid memory I have of him was him flipping over Dominic Hoshik who is definitely obviously he's in the Hall of Fame already but what do you like what are your thoughts on a guy like Datsuk who wasn't in the NHL for like a long time but I mean when he was in the NHL he was arguably the most talented player in the league he's an absolute lock for me um and my and my uh pps system totally supports datsuk um i think he's gonna get in for sure uh eventually i should add um yeah. it's funny rachel you mentioned heatley and i, I was pulling it up as we were talking but gabrick is a 255 in pps and heatley is a 254 and their careers are really really similar gabrick just did it a little bit longer um, without perhaps like that true peak that Heatley had for a couple of years. So I, I, it's funny you said that, and then my ears perked up that, okay, I got to look this up. But yeah, those are two two players nobody ever talks about. They just played at the wrong time, I would say. Interesting. Um, do you have a defenseman maybe that comes to mind? If not, like another forward that is kind of like Gabrick, that sort of sleeper Hall of Fame-esque production? 
Uh, there's there's one out there that nobody talks about, and he actually is right on the standard, and it's Eric Desjardins. And um, oh. it's yeah, yeah, played in a pretty low scoring time, but you know he did win. He won that uh, 1993 Cup Montreal on top of that, and was just sort of your low key kind of top ten NHL defenseman for a really long time. So he he kind of pops on it on my system too. Interesting. Okay, and yeah. um, how about longevity? Like, I mean, I'll, I'll toss this to you, Dory. Like, what do you think about when evaluating who a Hall of Fame player, how much longevity is important um, when assessing someone's production? Yeah, I think there's different cases, right? Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, Bobby Orr is totally separate from pretty much everybody else um, because he, when you talk about revolutionize the game, like we, we don't have scoring defensemen if not for Bobby Orr. Mm-hmm. So I think you kind of have to remove him from the equation. But when I'm evaluating longevity, like you need for Austin Matthews to be considered in the same sphere as Gretzky, Ovechkin, how he needs to do what he's doing probably for another five years. So it needs to be like a 10 year sample of, this guy can score 35. This guy can score 40. I get really annoyed when people are like, oh, he's a 50 goal scorer. And he did it once with 50 on the nose. It's like, Mm -hmm. well, is he really? That's like saying if Austin Matthews never scores 60 again, I think it's kind of nuts to say he's a 60 goal scorer. You just say he's a 50 goal scorer that had a high peak. And so longevity wise, I think it's got to be over a period of at least five years from like a goal scoring perspective and from a points perspective or just quality of play so like Zdeno Chara for example it's got to be over a period of 10 years where like you're in and you're one of the best players in the league for 10 years like Connor McDavid is at eight years in the NHL now and like comfortably if he retired tomorrow he's going in the hall of fame but like what is that for players who weren't as good and so I think there's got to be like if you're a 30 goal scorer, you need to be a 30 goal scorer for a number of consecutive years to to be longevity case in my book. And Paul, how 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 does longevity, if at all, play into the projections of the PPS system? Yeah, and I know Rachel was just spitballing on some of the timelines, but I actually think they were they were pretty great in terms of um, uh, my own view on it, but also how I built them into the system. So someone's peak is seven years, but it doesn't mean you have to be great for seven years. I just give them a score based on that seven consecutive year run. And if you were great for five years, you do, you do score really well on it. I think that's the great debate though. The question itself, like how long do you have to be good for? And um, the shorter you play, then obviously the better you have to have been and like I like Hall of Famers that dominated and to me that's what I was trying to pull out of the system like Cam Neely for instance there's not much to look at other than a handful of abbreviated seasons to call him a Hall of Famer but my PPS approach has him as one because it pulls out the fact that he missed games it shows that in his seven-year peak he just was that outstanding and so that's that's kind of tweaking this formula is really the fun of all of it because if someone tells me you know you're out you're out to lunch you should move the goalposts a bit that's fine like this is a starting point for good debate and i'm never my feelings are never hurt if someone says it should be four years or eight years or whatever that number is okay so what is i just this is like my own curiosity if you pull up yaramir yager's card yeah what at what point is he like 
what category is he in? Like he's slam dunk going in. We all know this, but what does your system say about his NHL career? Well, I'm glad you're sitting down because it's that outstanding. Um, I don't think people realize how dominant he was for all those scoring title years when um, he was getting like mind-blowing scoring title uh, point outputs when nobody else was even doing that. So he's so underrated. Um, but in order to sort of fulfill the hype that I was talking about here, um, Yager is um, the fourth best forward of all time under my system. Whoa. Yeah. Whoa. yeah. <laughs> okay, so the top three are Gretzky, Lemieux, Ovechkin? Crosby passed Yager this season. So that's how dominant Yager really was. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So yeah. I feel like so I haven't I haven't shared I haven't shared the lists all that much because whenever I whenever I do sort Fair. of put this out in public, I wanted it to be really, really exciting. But I figured I'd just give a nugget now and Yager is that good. <laughs> wow. Wow. Okay. So he's I feel like he's somebody, maybe we'll have this conversation, but like he's obviously still playing in Czechia. Is he somebody where we just say, you know what? We all know he's a Hall of Famer to like the nth degree. He's playing in the Czech Republic. He's not coming to play international hockey or anything anymore. Like, do we just waive the waiting period and say, like, you're going in? Like, could we have that conversation about him? Is he good enough for that? He is, in my opinion, and my system's opinion, clearly, but, um, they stopped doing it with Gretzky. So they'd have to actually re-amend their bylaws. So when after Gretzky was put in in that fashion, they said, we're never doing this again because they generally stay away from anything controversial like that. So they've just mm. sort of moved off it. But um, he's in that class, in, in my opinion, yes. Okay, so wow. yeah, we're talking about the elite of the elite. You're probably, I mean, I think, if we do the we institute the waving period, it probably gets waived for Crosby, Ovechkin, and Yager in terms of who is still not in the Hall of Fame, right? Like I think comfortably we could we could have a scenario where both of those players retire, uh, Crosby and Ovechkin, that is, and we could say, yeah, okay, like they can go in the Hall of Fame next year, like that's fine. But are there any other players who are at that level? Um, not active right now, um, at least not from what I've, from my work. Um, maybe someone could have made the argument for Lidstrom a few years back, um, probably in that class, but there certainly isn't a goalie right now. Um, Lundqvist was the best goalie outside the Hall of Fame, so it's not going to be a goalie. Um, I don't see a defenseman right now, and forward, it's Yager's, Yager's the guy. The next couple guys would be, in terms of how I've ranked them, would be the McDavid, of course, one day, and then Kane and Stamkos, among active players, are historically awesome as well. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I feel like if McDavid wins a cup, along with his award cabinet that is losing room at a quick pace, um, he'll probably end up... It's a full room for him. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. All right. Yeah, like, I think that's, that's really cool. I'm interested to see... The one thing I, I would love to see is like somebody like McDavid or McCarr where you get to watch now that you've created this, you get to watch their chart as they progress through their career. So like Connor Bedard, you are going to have 
the entirety of his career that you'll be able to track live. So you could be like, this is where he is now. This is where he is. This is where he is. I feel like maybe this is me being a total nerd, but that's got to be kind of fun to track, no? Oh, it's really fun. Yeah. So, I mean, you don't create a hockey hall of fame system without being a little bit nerdy. Let's myself, let's be serious. <laughs> um, yeah. The, McDavid kind of had entered top 15 territory last year. I know you're, you're going to say, wow, but that is how, that's how dominant he is. And I'm running the 2023 update in the next month. And I'm really, really curious to see where he's going to emerge. Like when you go back in history, players don't win that many MVPs and they don't win that many scoring titles and they don't win them by that much. And they're not obviously better than anyone. And if they are, it's for like a month. <laughs> it's not for 10 years. Right. So, um, yeah, McDavid, again, is as much as everyone celebrates him, he's still underrated. And I can't wait to see where he emerges. Could he ever sniff the Lemieux territory if he plays a really long time? Or will he end up in the my, you know, Crosby Yager tier? I, I find that stuff pretty fascinating. Is there anyone, you said Kane and uh, Stamkos, but are there any other players currently that are maybe underappreciated in the sense of like, people are used to being good, but don't realize that they're truly great. Uh, Victor Hedman is one. Um, I believe he was a Norris finalist six straight years, which a handful of players have ever done that. Um, he's, he'd be one for sure. Um, and even the, the guys who are the best players now, I still find don't get the historical treatment like the Kucherovs and Dreisaitls. Like their, their output is historically dominant. It's just no one appreciates it while it's happening and they're not getting 142 points because it's not 1982. Mm. And so people just don't get as excited. But these are players who um, really, really dominate in a historical way. That's so fun. Like I, I always like to think of what somebody would be like if they played in a different era and picturing McDavid playing in like the straight stick era is so funny to me just because first of all, watching him stick handle with like a tree basically would be comical, but his speed, his ability to do things is, is just incredible. I feel like he thinks the game at a different level. And I, I mean, I thought of Victor Hedman as like a potential Hall of Famer, but to hear you say like, no, this guy, like he's a Hall of Famer. And I did not realize he had been nominated for the Norris for six straight years. Like, yeah, okay. If you're a top three defenseman in the league for like uh, over half a decade, that's that's longevity enough for me to say, yeah, you deserve to go in the Hall of Fame. I guess one last one, Eric Carlson. Is he a Hall of Famer? He is a slam dunk Hall of Famer. And uh, believe it or not, he didn't even need to have this renaissance season. Um, I was saying that in uh, November when, he, you know, I think he was off to like, a, you know, the kind of start where everyone's like, well, that will never last. <laughs> but it did. Yeah. Um, yeah, he there's also, I believe, only nine players with three Norrises now. So it would be extremely hard to even start a conversation that he's not at the top of. Um, he, he thrives in my ranking and he's pretty much the best of the generation. I would say wow. the post loco generation, Charles kind of the only guy who is in that conversation right now. And with that, we're in a league where he, they may have to retain salary to move him. Isn't that just something <laughs> surefire hall of famer? Well, uh, well, Paul, thank you so much for joining us. This was awesome. This was really neat. Um, 
where can people find your work if you want to plug it um just if they want to keep up with what you're doing yeah, I, I would say follow me on Twitter at Adjusted Hockey um, and check adjustedhockey.com. I, I did a lot of writing for Daily Faceoff the last two months. So if you want to check that out, um, I'd be thrilled to just have my work seen. But otherwise, at Adjusted Hockey is the place to find it. Um, and yeah, thanks for having me. I could, you could tell, I'm sure I could have these debates uh, all day. And I, and I hope that once I have um, information in the public that I'm helping to fuel and settle maybe some of these debates going forward. So that's what I'm looking forward to as well. We will definitely be hearing from me when my buddies start wondering who Hall of Famers truly are. Uh, Paul, thanks so much, man. <laughs> Take care. We'll, we'll be sure to talk to you soon. You can check out all episodes of the Staff and Graph podcast and other THN podcasts on the hockeynews.com slash podcast or where you get your podcast, Spotify, Apple, or whatever it may be. Thanks, and we'll be back next week.